in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there. And today we're continuing a conversation we began in our previous episode about Adobe, which, uh, if you're just tuning in, in our last episode, we ended in Adobe's, uh, uh, well, let's see, it was 1994 when Adobe merged with a company called Aldus and became Adobe Systems Incorporated. Now, now, when you mix the mud with the water, you want it consistent. Not, not that kind of Adobe. Not that kind of Adobe. I'm, I'm like, going to need some new notes. Okay. Well, Chris is going to go bye-bye for a little while. Uh, no. So, yeah, Adobe, of course, uh, at this point in its existence, was really, really focused on desktop publishing and desktop video editing software uh, and getting into some other arenas as well. They're starting to yeah. look into like, 3D rendering. They were looking into uh, developing things for web pages, which – you know, in the early 90s, the web is in its infancy. It's it's hasn't really taken off yet, uh, and and also into other venues as well. So Adobe's starting to branch out beyond the traditional uh, font management software that it had kind of cut its teeth on. Well, we're looking at a time when. There was still a lot of fragmentation out there. Sure. Uh, you know, we, we talk on, on tech stuff a lot about older technologies just because I think it kind of puts what we have now into a lot of context. Um, we've talked in the past about um, the mainframes that they, they used to use before the Internet really hooked everything up. And all these different machines use different operating systems. They use different programming languages. Um, and uh, one of the... Uh, one of the things, one of the reasons, if you, especially if you haven't listened to uh, to the first episode of the Adobe uh, two-parter, um, one of the reasons that the founders of Adobe decided to branch out from their work at Xerox Park was they wanted to create technologies that would enable people to standardize, um, specifically in this case for publishing, uh, the, the pr- purposes of print publishing. But um, they, you, you will find that uh, as we are talking, especially in this second part of the podcast, that the the technologies and formats that Adobe has created have really done that. Um, and this is a time in the in the mid 1990s when we're we're moving from, uh, you know, the Macintosh operating system is is moving forward. Um, the uh, uh, you know some of the other different competitors have fallen out. Uh, Atari ST is gone. By this point, for the most part, um, Amiga is, has long since uh, foundered and been saved and will founder again, et cetera. Um, so it's really sort of a, a two-part race for the most part. The people who are using uh, uh, PCs based on IBM's technologies and, um, and, and people who are using the Mac – and, and as Jonathan alluded to in the, the previous episode, the Mac people right now are still sort of designers. You know, that's if you're going to be doing desktop publishing, you, you need a Mac. Yeah. But Adobe was smart in hedging its bets. They they started producing software for the Windows operating system. More people have used, uh, I mean, uh, OS2, the IBM um, operating system, has kind of fallen off by this period too. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that was a, the right horse to back was the the Windows operating system and with Windows 3.x and then Windows 95 around the time we're starting to talk about it, it's really becoming a a situation where the the technologies are are getting more similar than dissimilar right. at this point and of course uh, you know already we had the whole model of the enterprise. Uh, uh, leaning toward Windows-based machines as opposed to Mac machines. Mm-hmm. So with entire companies uh, investing in Windows PCs, it meant that you know you wanted to make sure you, you catered to that particular market as well. There were going to be a lot of Windows P- PC machines out there, and a lot of businesses do some form of publishing, whether it's for internal documents or it's an actual company that produces stuff that will go to external clients or customers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was very important for Adobe to look into that. And in 1995, they went on something of a, a bit of an acquisition spree. 
They acquired a company called Visualware. Uh, they acquired uh, Seneca Communications, which made website creation tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, you know, early days of the web and Adobe saying, we need to get into this. Uh, they acquired Hyphen, which was a printer software company. Uh, and they, and they acquired Frame Technology, which created a software called Frame Maker, um, which was all about producing and manipulating large structured documents. Now, if you aren't a technical writer, this might not sound terribly interesting, but if you are a technical writer and you have to create long, complicated technical documents, something like FrameMaker, which would allow you to produce those and, and, uh, switch things around, uh, relatively painlessly, that's a big deal. You know, you're talking about very complex documents. Jonathan? Yeah. I know people who've used FrameMaker. Yeah. They would they would probably take exception to your your painless <laughs> painlessly yeah I I realize that painless is again your mileage may vary type term just like open was in our last episode right but uh, the the goal of framemaker at any rate was to make this easier for large complex documents uh, to manipulate those uh, whether or not it succeeded was probably more of a case by case basis. Well, when you put it uh when you put it in terms of what people had to do to create those same kinds of documents before computers were on everyone's desktop, uh it's considerably painlessly. Yeah, much much easier. Uh at that same time, they began to license a programming language created by Sun Microsystems called Java. And they were licensing it with the intent on integrating it with their Adobe Acrobat pro- product. So uh, Java is not an Adobe product. It came from Sun Microsystems, but Adobe did license it for some of its own products. Uh, they also ended a licensing agreement that year. They ended the agreement with Photoshop. They decided mm-hmm. to cut that license because they decided to buy Photoshop outright. Uh, for $35.5 million. So that pet project of Thomas Knowles, who created his display software program a few years before, mm-hmm. uh, turned out to be quite a windfall for him with a $35.5 million uh, deal with Adobe after a, after a fairly lucrative licensing agreement. So, uh, it was, uh, it was, <laughs> it was, it was a, one of those right place to be, uh, during the right time kind of situations, you know? And then, uh, also that year, Acrobat becomes integrated with a browser called Netscape. Mm-hmm. New listeners, uh, young listeners might not be familiar with the name Netscape, but Netscape at one time was a dominant web browser. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you had Essentially, you had two web browsers battling it out for supremacy. Uh, there was uh, Netscape and there was Internet Explorer. And then Internet Explorer kind of won for a while, and then other browsers rose up to uh, challenge Internet Explorer. But Netscape was a big name back in the day. Yeah, there were there were um, there were other browsers, quite yes. a few of them. Yes, um, most of which you really will never hear of. Right, the market share for those was tiny in comparison. And and that's really thanks in large part to Microsoft because um, Netscape was a paid product back then. Yeah. If you wanted the Netscape web browser, you forked over money because I know this because I did that. And then uh, Microsoft released Internet Explorer for free. Yeah. Also, this was the same era when Internet Explorer and Windows were so tightly integrated that it caused problems for Microsoft in the court systems where they were talking about Microsoft kind of unfairly uh, biasing everything toward Internet Explorer so that you would effectively not have a choice, trying to become a monopoly in the browser world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a totally different story, though, so we don't really need to go into that. But it's just interesting background with what's going on during the time that Adobe's making all these acquisitions and licensing agreements. Mm-hmm. Uh, they release more updates to their product line. Uh, I'm not going to go into all of them because, frankly, it would take several episodes, and I'm not sure that it would be that interesting. Uh, I will say that they did release the first edition of PageMill, which was, according to the box, the easiest way to create pages for the World Wide Web, because that's what we used to call it. And I, and, and to that, I would just say... <laughs> well, well, maybe back then it was the easiest. I mean, 
do you re- you remember having to create a web page by coding it in in HTML? Yes. And then saving the HTML document, then opening up a browser, opening the HTML document, looking at it, say, that's not the way I want it to be. Close out the browser, reopen the HTML editor, go back into it and change another line of HTML. I, I say code, but it's really a markup language. Um, yeah, they um, – That at was this, a pain. Yeah. Well, well, this this <laughs> – if you wanted to get into the web, and lots and lots of people did at this point, it was it it was being likened to the the great land rush type thing where yeah, it's the wild west, yeah, the wild west or or space, you know, yeah. it's it's wide open and anybody can do this, and and people wanted to learn how to do this, and you kind of had two choices, which you, well, you still really do, but. Uh, it was less familiar to people right. at that time. So you, you either learned how – you bought a book on how to code HTML or you got software to help you with this. Like, yeah. for example, PageMill or um, <laughs> uh, Front Page. Yep, I remember Front Page. And, um, you know, there were there – were, <laughs> there were situations where you'd, you'd go, okay, well, I'm just going to go ahead and, uh, uh, you know, bite the bullet and go ahead and buy a, a program to help me do this. And it worked – some of the time. Yeah. And then other times you'd look in the code and if you knew anything about the code, you go, what's that? Yeah. Why is, why is it injecting all this stuff that really doesn't, it's not necessary for me to align my text to the left. It was, <laughs> you know, it was the attempt of, of the early, uh, the software, the software engineers to, um, you know, make an attempt to make coding easier for HTML users. Yeah, and eventually this would develop into WYSIWYG editors, which of course is the what you see is what you get, where you know the all the coding part is hidden away from you, so you don't have to pay attention to it. You just see the representation of it on your screen, and you mo- move things around to where you want them. That's how a lot of web development tools are these days. Now, granted, most of them also allow you to go into the HTML if you want to do it you know, the old-fashioned way, or you want to tweak things very specifically, and you don't, you know, you want to do it via code as opposed to clicking and dragging something on a screen. But uh, yeah, this is this kind of predates the whole WYSIWYG stuff. Yeah, well, and until uh, Macromedia comes out with... Um with Dreamweaver, yeah, which uh, is I believe you can we can make it through the night. That's yeah. one. Well, Dreamweaver uh, is a is a sort of best of both worlds sort of situation where you can do WYSIWYG editing, but you can also really get into the code. Actually, uh, there was a, a company called GoLive that yeah. um, uh, also came out with a similar program. So GoLive and uh, and Macromedia were coming out with these advanced. HTML editors and both and, of them uh, will play a part in the story and and <laughs> Dreamweaver and um, I'm sorry and uh, PageMill. Uh-huh. Well, PageMill is now sitting in deep in the ground where it was stomped. Yeah, but that's okay because Adobe, even though perhaps its own product did not win out in that war, uh, Adobe still stood tall, and we'll get into why. Oh yes, but uh, their their revenue that year because uh, I was doing revenue in the previous ones. I'm not going to do this every single year. Uh, it was 762 million. So they're creeping up on a billion dollars in revenue. They had uh, over 2,000 employees at this point, 2,322. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next year, in 96, Adobe acquired a company called Swell Software. Oh, that's nifty. Yeah. So they developed web server software. Uh, and they also acquired a company called Ares Software, which was another font scaling company. If you listen to part one, you probably heard us talk about Adobe buying every font scaling company that seemed to come, come into existence. Because again, that was very, uh, much part of their, their focus with desktop publishing and, and electronic publishing in general. Well, um, then you have to descale the fonts if you want to eat them. So then oh, after no, that, after that, uh, Adobe also decided to spin off one of its um, divisions. They had this whole pre-press application software company uh, spinoff that they called Luminous Corporation. And Adobe Systems Incorporated relocates yet again. Now, if you listen again to the, the previous episode, you heard about them getting a start in Mountain View and then moving to Palo Alto and then moving back to Mountain View. And now they're making their move to where they where Adobe headquarters are today, which is, well, you know the way. It's <laughs> San Jose. Do, 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 do. Anyway, so they go to San Jose, California. And uh, uh, moving on to 97, more acquisitions, which 
Now, it, it's kind of amazing. If you look at Adobe's history and you look at all the companies it's acquired, I never realized how many companies Adobe bought. I, I think of companies like Google, which I think of as, as being pretty, you know, at least during certain eras of Google's history, they've, they've swept up quite a few companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are other companies that are – Microsoft's done the same sort of thing. It's bought up several smaller companies. But I, I never really thought of Adobe being one of those. I, I knew about them making some major acquisitions and mergers, yeah. but I didn't realize how many how many companies Adobe acquired. I mean, yeah. that was a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, 97, well, Sandcastle, uh, which was a, a two-way internet communication company. Digidocs, which was a personalized PDF creation software company. Uh, uh FinePoint, which was a web graphics software company. I mean, they, every year it seems like they're they're acquiring at least two or three companies, which kind of kind of uh, uh, interesting and scary. Mm-hmm. Well, um, this is around the time when Macromedia was really uh, putting the the uh, the hurt on Adobe because um, in uh, in 1996 is when they introduced Flash. So you know, Adobe really had no uh, no concrete answer for how um, for a, a software like Flash, which is still today one of the most popular ways of providing rich internet content, especially now that that broadband technology is uh, is so common. And I would even argue that uh, Flash, in some ways, probably had an effect on broadband becoming more popular because with more interactive and interesting content with the ability to, to create that using Macromedia Flash, um, that made having faster internet speeds more compelling because there was something to get. Um, and it was, it was that next year in 1997 where, where Macromedia came out with Dreamweaver to, yeah. to create web pages. So, um, you know, Adobe is, is, even though it's a uh, you know the number two software firm in the world behind only Microsoft in 1997, um, it's there are still places it can improve. Right. Yeah. And they they also that year launched the Noida Research and Development Center. So this was a, a division specifically to uh, you know they would de- they would dedicate resources to the center to try and find uh, new and innovative ways to improve either existing products or come up with brand new products. So in a way, this is kind of Adobe's version of Park, which, of course, is what the, mm-hmm. the two founders of Adobe, what the the world that they came out of. Uh, so uh, in 98, uh, they have a new employee, uh, a fellow who originally came from India, and so I'm going to completely butcher the pronunciation of his name, and I apologize for that because uh, I... It's my cultural illiteracy, and that's the only reason. But uh, Shantanu Narayan, who uh, joins Adobe as the VP and General Manager of Engineering Technology Group. Uh, he was a former executive at Apple, and then after that he was the founder of a digital photo sharing company, Pictra Incorporated. It was actually one of the first companies to look into digital photo sharing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anyway, this man will become very important to Adobe uh, in the future. He was he he also has a meteoric rise. You may have heard of us talking about uh, Chisholm um, having a, a meteoric rise as well. Throughout these years, he he is steadily climbing the executive ladder over at Adobe. Mm-hmm. Well, that year in '98, uh, Adobe ships Image Ready One and Image Styler One, uh, along with updates to pretty much everything else in its software suite. Um, and uh, we we move on to 99 and we talk about go live again that was the company you were talking about earlier chris yeah it was uh, basically the competition to dreamweaver right so uh adobe's like hey i know how we can compete let's buy go live so they did yes they uh, did so go live created this mac web authoring tool and uh, adobe sweeps them up um they also Acquired Attitude Software, which was a 3D technologies company. Uh, Photo Merge, which was a photo stitching software company. Photo stitching, for those who do not know, that is the software that allows you to take multiple photographs and then merge them together to make one image. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of companies that do this, but Photo Merge was one of them, and Adobe uh, jumped on that opportunity. Uh, that year, they shipped a product called Document Server One. This was a, a pretty important piece of software. It's not something that you would have purchased as just an average computer owner. 
Mm-hmm. But what Document Server One allowed uh, uh, people to do was if you if you installed this on a server, it would allow folks to view PDF files through a browser without first having to download Adobe Acrobat Reader or some other client software. That's the way it had to be done previously. You would you know the the browser itself was not capable of displaying PDF without a plugin, essentially. Mm-hmm. So you had to get Adobe Acrobat Reader uh, before this. Now, what this software did was on the server side, so it's not client side, you didn't have to have it on your personal machine. On the server side, it installed the software that would convert PDF documents into GIF or JPEG formats. And then, so on, you know, those are file formats that any browser could display. Mm-hmm. So your browser would be able to show the GIF or JPEG version of a PDF document. So you're not looking at the true PDF version. You're looking at an image of it. Right. Um, but that meant that you didn't have to install something additional into your browser of choice. Right. Uh, they also shipped uh, a product called ActiveShare, which was software that had uh, sort of a simplified photo editing suite of tools. And it was meant for the average user. Because a lot of the Adobe products previous to this point were meant for people who were specialists. You know, we're talking about photography specialists or, or uh, people who, you know, it's they're living to retouch photos, that kind of thing. Well, they, they needed tools that had a lot of sophistication and sometimes with sophistication comes complexity, which is a barrier for an average user, someone who doesn't do this for a living, someone who's who's interested in it, but they don't have the expertise to, you know, if you if you hand them a, a tool chest that has a thousand tools in it, it's just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So this was Adobe's attempt to kind of uh, address a, a different market. We're talking about the average consumer and say, look, this software will let you share your photos and you can even do some simple touch-ups uh, most of it automated, so that way it wasn't too intimidating for the average user. Mm-hmm. Um, and they shipped a a product called PressReady, which was a publishing tool for inkjet printers. And 1999 was the first year that Adobe hit the one billion dollar revenue mark. Mm-hmm. So a uh, big year for Adobe. Yeah, yeah, and I, I remember in, in in 1999 when InDesign came out. Um, that was, you know, the, the basically sort of the uh, the update, if you will. Although it wasn't an update to PageMaker, yeah, which it bought from Aldis, or when it acquired Aldis, um, and uh, you know, there, it, it was still a uh, it was still a little different from uh, from PageMaker at that at that point. Uh, Adobe's PageMaker was going up against Quark with its Quark Express software, and those two were the big publishing. Uh, platforms of choice. And then InDesign was, you know, Adobe says, you know, this is brand new, written from the ground up. It's going to take over the world. It's, it's much better than, than our old stuff. It's much better than their stuff. And, um, you know, right out of the gate, maybe not, but that would go on to, uh, uh, to do very, very well. And they eventually, uh, would phase out the, the page maker. Right. Yep. In 2000, uh, they are ranked as number 42 on Fortune's 100 Best Companies list, mm-hmm. which was a, a point of pride for them. Uh, they acquired a company called Glassbook, which was uh, – they created software for reading, creating, and deploying ebooks. So another big move. We're talking about you – now again, e-publishing was always something Adobe was interested in, but now we're talking about ebooks in particular. This is definitely the early days of ebooks. books yeah. 2000 uh, – it was LCD screens, really a niche market, yeah. not not doing a lot of business in this. But uh, Adobe kind of could see the writing on the tablet and uh, <laughs> started to get into it. This was also another another monumental year for Adobe in the sense that there was a big change at the top. Uh, Warnock and Gesch became co-chairman of the board of directors. And Bruce Chisholm became the CEO of Adobe Systems Incorporated. Yeah, he, he retired from his his. Typical post, and, yeah. and went on to uh, you know to join the board and, and sort of step down from the day to day stuff. Yeah. So um, Adobe also shipped a product called Live Motion One, which was a product that was all about web graphics and animation software, mm-hmm. and uh, a publication management and collaboration tool called InScope One. And um, yeah, so they're again they're diversifying a bit. So it's not just digital publishing for static documents, but also 
yet more uh, web page publication tools. Yeah, and a focus on cross-platform too, which yes. uh, you know has has been for and from where we are now, the the focus for many years, you know, building uh, formats and 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 uh, making tools to create those those formats that will work on Windows and Macintosh computers both. Yeah, so that way, no matter who uh, argues, Adobe still wins. Um, <laughs> 2001, another huge year, a uh, artificially intelligent computer by the name of HAL started to off uh, space explorers one by one because of a problem. No. Pro- no. Okay, now my notes are wrong. <laughs> uh, no, in 2001, they made a big deal with a, a major retail establishment. Really? Yeah, Barnes & Noble. Uh-huh. So the deal was that uh, they would start to sell electronic books in PDF format through Barnes & Noble. So again, a little early for that, uh, but it was a, uh, you know, that uh, sort of seeing what the future was going to be in the publication industry. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. Uh, they also, of course, you know, we can't go a year without them acquiring somebody. So they acquired a company called uh, Fativa, which was a digital photography software company. And they also began to license software from Sonic mm-hmm. Solutions Technology. Sonic Solutions Technology was a company that created DVD authoring software. Ah. So now we're getting into not just publication for the web or for the desktop or even hard copy paper documentation with you know the postscript printer stuff. We're talking about creating DVDs. So uh, they also <laughs> they also shipped special versions of Acrobat Reader for a couple of different formats. And uh, this is – I'm mentioning this just to see Chris's reaction. Uh, this was the year 2001 when they shipped Acrobat Reader for Palm OS. Mm. I have a little moment of silence for Palm OS. All right. That's enough. Um, <laughs> you know, you, but, we, yeah, I mean, we've done an episode on Palm and we've done an episode on HP. So if you really want to know the whole grisly story about Palm <laughs> – well, it, it was a sort of a, again, sort of a foreshadowing of how important the mobile market would end up being. Yeah, this is, again, a very early entry into the mobile market. We're talking about back in the days of, of the personal digital assistant days. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. have personal digital assistants, for those of you who don't remember, are smartphones without the phone. <laughs> who would do that? But no, in general, that's kind of what it was. So yeah, this was an idea of, well, let's, let's, let's create a version of Acrobat Reader that'll work on a mobile device. So that way you can load a document on a mobile device and take it with you and you don't have to have a computer to set up so that you can read whatever the document is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and in 2002, they celebrated their 20th anniversary. Oh, yes. And they also acquired a company. Um, Achilio or Acilio, depending on, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but they, they, it was a company that made web enabled electronic forms. Mm-hmm. And specifically, these forms were designed to improve business processes. So that's as, as exciting as it sounds. Yes, but it's very important. It and is a very, very lucrative important. business. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, and also in 2001, by the way, uh, I have listed oh, that I'm John, sorry. that, uh, John Warnock retired yes. officially from day to day operations of the company. Yep. So. Yeah, so, uh, so the founders are no longer doing the the everyday right, commute. Right. Uh, Actually, they probably were, but hey. <laughs> but just for funsies. Uh, so moving on to 2003. At 2003, they hit their peak, as far as I can tell anyway, on the Fortune's Best 100 list. They, they rose all the way to number five. Mm-hmm. So they had been appearing on the list year after year. But I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe 2003 – was when they got as high up on the list as they've ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also, of course, guess what they did? Acquired, they acquired a company, yes, Centrillium, which was a digital audio tool company. And they also acquired a company called Yellow Dragon Technology, which was, again, Adobe getting into a business very early on. Yellow Dragon Technology created XML messaging and metadata management software. So uh, XML, extensible markup language, uh, was something developed to make web pages uh, a more rich medium because HTML had certain limitations that it was not really able to go beyond without additional stuff supporting it. And mm-hmm. XML, in a way, is one of the many things that kind of bolstered HTML. Uh, also made it easier to do things like the metadata. Metadata is very important. Uh, metadata kind of tells... 
a computer program what the content of a particular document, whether it's a web page or uh, a, a you know a, a document like a like you know just something that you're creating on a computer, it gives the computer information about what that document's about mm-hmm. or how to uh, sort that document. And uh, this this becomes really important in lots of different applications. The one that a lot of people refer to because it's a very easy illustration is search. Mm-hmm. So if you are searching for stuff and the search program looks through metadata to try and find documents that relate to whatever your search terms are, you need to have a really good metadata management system in order to make sure people are finding your stuff when they're searching for it. Mm-hmm. Um, because this this can make or break a business. Yeah, it was especially important in the earlier days of the web when the the search engine uh, spiders, which is basically a a piece of software that goes from page to page on the internet, they were less sophisticated than they are now. Yeah. Um, at at reading the content on the page and determining context from from the way the content is marked up in HTML or or you know some form of XML, so um, or PHP. Yeah. Um, so uh, we digress. Yeah, there are others. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it sort of relied on people marking up a page under, in, in the code that you wouldn't necessarily see with tags that they wanted to be associated with, meta information. Right. And, uh, so this, this was a very important, uh, you know, business to be involved in at now, that point. Granted, people started to figure out ways to game the system by putting in irrelevant mm-hmm. information in oh, their sure. metadata so that they would get lots of traffic. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily be productive traffic because people would go to the page and say, this is not what I was looking for at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that someone happened to include stuff in metadata. That's the reason why the Google algorithm is uh, so sophisticated. It needed to do things like just completely disregard metadata for the most part and concentrate on the content of the web page itself in order to try and get you the best results for whatever search query you put in. And right. other other search engines do similar things using you know a very uh, complex approach to curating data. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're still in 2003. They also decided to uh, ship some products. You know, they weren't happy just acquiring companies. So beyond updating their suite of software, uh, Adobe also shipped new stuff like Encore DVD, also a, a piece of software called Audition One, which was a digital audio editing environment. This was mainly meant for professionals. People who are no, that's their living is uh, editing audio, uh, so this wasn't something that the average user would go out and buy necessarily. Um, they also had a product called Version Q, which was a file management system. Uh, and again, this doesn't sound particularly sexy or anything, but Version Q, what it would allow you to do is track different versions of files so that you could. Uh, zero in on the specific version you needed to whenever you were doing publication. This is incredibly important in the publishing world, uh, particularly before there were a lot of collaborative environments available because, you know, typically what would happen is someone would create a file on their machine and then they might copy that file onto a disk or later on a USB drive or perhaps email it to someone else who would then open it, perhaps make some changes. Well, now you've got two versions of that file out there in the wild. There's the original version that's on the person who created its machine. There's the edited version that's on the other machine. That The edited version might get sent to someone else who makes further changes. So you very quickly get into the situation where someone coming from outside may not know which version is the one they need to work with. That's annoying. Yeah. So version Q was kind of a way to help try and keep tabs on what's going on so that confusion would not ruin a project. Mm-hmm. And trust me, I've worked on projects that where, where we had major setbacks because someone was using an out-of-date file for part of the project. Um, not at How Stuff Works. I was going to say, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, No, no, it wasn't at How Stuff Works. It was in my previous life uh, working in other venues that I will not name. But anyway, it, it is a very frustrating experience. So again, not not something that, you know, those of us who are gamers would <laughs> necessarily think is exciting, but it's very, very important. Right, right. And you know, uh, uh, Macromedia around this time has bundled uh, its some of its software together. You know, the freehand um, uh, drawing program that's sort of a competitor for Adobe Illustrator and uh, Flash and Fireworks. 
um, Dreamweaver. That's uh, every time you say that the song goes through my head. I'm, I'm, I'm just imagining Wayne's World. Okay. Uh, anyhow, um, and so uh, yeah, around this time, uh, um, back in 2003, uh, Adobe fights back. It bundles together its first version of its Creative Suite. Yeah, version 1.0. Yeah, so this was a, uh, you know, definitely a way of making a stand and putting together these products that Adobe was known for, and uh, pricing them in a way where someone who was really, really determined to go into desktop publishing could get all the tools they need in one suite, as opposed to buying it piecemeal. Well, yeah, because um, you might prefer one company's tool over another. You yeah. might prefer Illustrator over freehand, but then you'd want Dreamweaver to uh, – yeah, I did that on purpose – to do your web design and maybe Flash. And oh, but you needed Photoshop. So – and of course, Macromedia and Adobe both knew this. I said, OK, well, we'll put together a bundle of software that's maybe a little cheaper than if you bought them all together, you know, uh, one by one. And maybe we can lock people into our environment. Yeah. Gee, that – that's not anything like the way uh, software companies do that today. Not at all. So 2004, let's get the acquisitions out of the way. Q-Link, business process management software company, and OKYZ, or OKIZ, which is a 3D technology company, uh, were both acquired by Adobe. Uh, and in 2005, a, a Shantanu Narayan, you know, I mentioned him earlier, he mm-hmm. becomes the president and COO of Adobe Systems. And this is also – 2005 was a big, big year because that whole macromedia company that has been a thorn in Adobe's side for so long, they announced – Adobe announces a plan to acquire macromedia. And, uh, no. And the acquisition is done in an all-stock transaction. So instead of cash changing hands, we're talking about stocks. And it was valued at $3.4 billion with a B dollars. Yes. To, to put that in perspective, the revenue for that year was $1.96 billion for Adobe. Yeah. So you're talking about, you know, a deal that's, uh, that's more than, and, uh, well, nearly twice the amount of what the revenue was for that year. Yeah. And as you might expect, this, uh, this caused a lot of consternation. Yeah. Uh, over whether or not this would be permitted because, um, you know, Adobe and, and Macromedia had been the two big, Creative packages that that fought against one another. Again, like I said, they they had bundled their software. You were you were an Adobe person or you were a Macromedia person, and uh, well, you know that sort of made it a monopoly in some people's eyes. Yep. Uh, not so as far as regulators were went. Concerned, they yeah. decided to uh, go ahead and permit that to happen. Yeah, and uh, and this is when Adobe takes stewardship of Flash. Ah, uh, uh, <laughs> savior of the universe. Now we're now we we've, we've transferred to Queen. Uh, this is we haven't really touched on it here, although we did talk about it a bit with XML. Flash was uh, one of those things developed to give more functionality through the web browsing experience than HTML could provide on its own. Uh, when we did our episode about HTML5, we talked about Flash quite a bit. Uh, it was. Are you are you smiling because you're thinking of the song every time? Yeah, I say it? It was, yeah. Okay, so so Dreamweaver for me and Flash for you. That makes sense. Okay, so <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So, take that. So Flash was a way to have these rich media experiences within a web environment that would not natively be supported by HTML. It meant that mm-hmm. you had to install this plugin on your browser so that you could be able to access this content. Otherwise, you would just get a little error message saying you could not see whatever it was that was on there. Yes. And so um, Adobe took ownership of that at this point. So that's kind of why if you've ever – if you've always heard of Flash associated with Adobe, that's why it was in 2005 when they acquired Macromedia. Uh, 2006, they continued acquiring companies. They acquired FileLine Digital Rights Management, which was actually a division from uh, Navisware. Digital rights management is one of those terms that is – Almost like a four-letter word in uh, the minds of many people who follow technology. Uh, digital rights management, of course, is all about protecting intellectual property by putting uh, limitations on what people can do with software in an attempt to prevent piracy. Uh, a lot of the complaints around DRM from the consumer side stem from the fact that sometimes these restrictions are 
they go too far. For instance, having a DRM that requires that you have a persistent connection to the internet to work on software that is not itself dependent upon internet connectivity. That would seem prohibitive. Uh, if I'm running mm-hmm. a program and all it needs to do is run natively on my machine, I should have an expectation that that machine does not need to be hooked up to the internet for me to successfully run this software. Mm-hmm. At least that's that's the general argument. I, I happen to agree with that argument, but I should say that's just one perspective. And I'm not don't mean to say that's the end all be all. Uh, they also acquired Traded Technologies France (TTF), uh, which created software to allow interoperability between CAD systems and multi-CAD mock-up. CAD yeah. being computer-aided design. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, this is getting a little more specialized. Uh, they also acquired Pixmantech Technology, which was a digital imaging software company. Uh, also, they acquired Interact, which was a web content management company. They acquired Sirius Magic, which was a video software and communications tool company. And they acquired Actimagine Technology, which was a video and interactive vector graphics company. So lots and lots of acquisitions in 2006. They also hit a huge revenue, $2.575 billion. Uh, the previous year was 1.96. So that's a pretty impressive growth. Yes. Um, and in 2007, Bruce Chisholm resigns as CEO and Shantanu Narayan becomes the new CEO. So he steps up from president and COO to CEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, that same year, they ship the Photoshop Lightroom software suite, which uh, it lets you manage digital images and post-production work. And they also produced Soundbooth, which was an audio editing software suite for people who are not audio professionals. Yeah. So it was a more accessible audio tool suite for people who wanted to produce audio work but didn't have that level of expertise to fiddle with all the knobs on that board that's just outside <laughs> this room that intimidates me every time I see it because, y'all, those things move on their own. <laughs> well, um yeah, they they Adobe had uh, started really getting into the the um, casual hobbyist market. Uh, I think they realized um, uh, well they've their their software has been pirated quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they Photoshop in particular. That's probably one of the most pirated pieces of software that I'm aware of. And I, I think in in some way uh, they have decided to reach out to the plain old everyday consumer. As a result of this and as a, a really good business opportunity anyway. Right. Um, I, I think it was sort of for, for many reasons. But yeah, that, that was one of a, a larger series of, of, um, uh, efforts in that regard, like the element series. Um, Photoshop Elements, for example, is a, a lower cost version that has, um, you know, a lesser set of tools that uh, the full version of Photoshop has, but it's it's much less expensive too, right, right. and it's it's basically aimed at hey, I take photos of stuff, and I like my kids and uh, my hobbies, and I you know I like to to shoot photos of uh, of my dog and double rainbows. It's so beautiful. What does it mean? Um, and stuff like that, and I just want to I just want to resize that photo. I want to I I want to put it in the the school newsletter for my right. kids, or, or I want to put it up online, and I don't need this crazy resolution to make this this one web page way larger than it needs to be. You know, I don't need to use it in CMYK because it's never going to see print, or if I if it does, it, it doesn't have to be perfect. Well, you know, Adobe said, hey, you know what, we can we can offer you tools for this, and they um they sort of uh, split a second line off of their their main line of software tools and, and started offering those around around this time to to people who uh, you know may just not need the same to the same kinds of professional level tools. Yeah. And, and and they were very successful. And and this is also the time where I, I alluded to it in the previous episode. You know, there was a battle between Apple and Adobe with the whole fonts issue where Apple wanted to try and develop its own fonts and it actually eventually did because it was licensing fonts from Adobe and felt that those licensing fees were becoming prohibitively expensive. So Apple began to design their own. Well, there was another fight that was gearing up around this time, and it's because in 2007, that's also when we had the introduction of a piece of technology that has revolutionized consumer electronics in the latter half of the first decade of 2000. 
that was that, that was a complicated sentence, right? Wow. Thank you. That would be the iPhone. Yes. So the iPhone comes out. It is the first truly successful consumer smartphone in the United States. Mm-hmm. There were other smartphones that were popular in other parts of the world. There were some smartphones that had fans in the US, but they just it just was, you know, they were in the minority. Most people were using what we call feature phones now, cell phones that had some limited web connectivity. I guess they didn't like dumb phones. I was really working on that. Yeah, well, the iPhone ended up being the first true runaway success smartphone in the United States. And Steve Jobs uh, famously said that he didn't believe that the iPhone or the iOS operating system, which at the time was not called iOS, but that's what we call it now, um, that it would not support Flash. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they decided that it, it they wouldn't make it happen. Well, the, essentially, what the arguments against it at the time, and you could you know you could maybe uh, dispute the the truth behind it, but the arguments were that. Flash would require so much processing power that it would drain the battery life of an iPhone and create an unsatisfactory experience for the consumer. So you go out, you buy an iPhone, you're like, this is awesome. I'm going to surf the web. And like, oh, this is great. I'm looking at all these web pages. And two hours later, you're like, wait a minute, I have to charge this thing again. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and Steve Jobs said, that's not a good experience. I don't want that to happen on our product. I'm not going to allow it to happen because I'm not going to have Flash work on this this uh, device. It created a lot of uh, challenges for developers uh, for all sorts of things, web apps as well as uh, iPhone apps, things like that. Uh, and it was kind of a, a, a glove in the face of Adobe saying, look, we're creating a juggernaut here. This is going to be the future of computing, whether you like it or not. And we are not supporting this product that you have taken ownership of. And, um, and it just got uglier from there. I mean, every... People started taking sides. Yeah. Designers, uh, a lot of designers love Flash because, of, I mean, they can really show what they can do. Right. With the, with the animation and, and, you know, graphics, it's, it can make beautiful web applications. And hey, you know, we've touched on it in the past too. Uh, the web wasn't designed to do what we do with it these right. days. Right. Um, and, and Jobs' argument was that it would be better to support the development of HTML5, which the next generation of the hypertext markup language that would, uh, natively support things like video and audio uh, uh, in ways that HTML, the previous versions of HTML, did not. Yeah. So that was his argument was like, instead of just continuously adding on additional elements to our web browsing experience, let's redefine uh, redefine the the markup language itself so that we don't need all these added elements that are just making this clunkier and it's requiring more processing power. Now, this is Steve Jobs' argument, I should I should point out, not my own. Right, right. Uh-huh. Uh, because I'm an Android phone owner, and my Android phone runs a version of Flash. <laughs> um but that was that was the the gauntlet there. And uh as the years go on, it got pretty I mean, it got pretty nasty to the mm-hmm. point where I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. But in 2011, Adobe announced they would stop developing Flash for mobile after version 11.1. Mm-hmm. And instead, they would focus on HTML5. They essentially acquiesced and said, you know, uh, we're getting enough pressure here. We're going to stop pushing Flash for, for mobile devices. Um, and that was, you know, that was kind of big news. Uh, well, you know, there were there was a, a a group of people that was sort of in the middle, and I admit I, I sort of belonged to that group where uh, I could see why Adobe would defend Flash. I mean, it, it you know it, it's a Flash cow. I mean, cash cow sort of in a way. I mean, you know, it's a it's a good technology in in some respects, and it there really wasn't there's not anything. I mean, other than than uh, Microsoft Silverlight, there's nothing that I can think of right off the top of my head that's um, as uh, as mature as a competitor for Flash and in, in like a, a software that you can go build something in and make an, a, a website that has interactive content like that. Right. Um, so you know they would, of course, they would defend it. But at the same time, I thought, well, oh, this is Adobe. They should be able to come up with some killer uh, HTML5 editor. And then that's really it's, what they did. They introduced their Edge um, software, yeah. which is is uh, Still, you know, sort of brand newish, 
uh, still very newish, let's say that. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, these tools are designed to work with uh, HTML5 and, and other related technologies using uh, standards like CSS um, and uh, uh, web fonts, which sure. are starting to become more popular, too. Now that you can have fonts load in the cloud rather than uh, having to have them on the host's computer to show up, um, which is the way it was strictly before, you know, that's uh, these are innovations that they can take advantage of. And, you know, I can't think of anybody who does that, that kind of thing quite as well as Adobe. Yeah. Uh, and that's my personal opinion. Of we should course. probably kind of wrap this up, but uh, before I, I finish, I should say they also acquired Business Catalyst, Omniture, and Efficient Frontier. Yeah, well, they have. They've been moving into marketing as yeah. well, web marketing. Um, so it, uh, you know, unlike some of the other companies that uh, that we've talked about, um, Adobe has has faced stiff competition from from a couple of its uh, serious serious competitors. I mean, they're still fa- facing uh, uh, Apple. And, yep. and Avid and some of the others, but they've they've weathered that competition, and uh, you know there hasn't been a lot of uh, confusion and uh, drama at the top. And there haven't been too many huge like departures from Adobe's core business. Like the, yeah. you don't see examples of something really really unusual that has nothing to do with any form of publication or editing, which is really what Adobe's known for. You haven't really seen anything that goes so far outside of that as to make you say, huh? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the story of Adobe so far. And, I mean, uh, the company's still going strong. And it'll be interesting to see how Adobe, uh, you know, how it, how it adjusts to the HTML5 era, which, of course, you know, still has not really launched i mean there's there's some early development in html5 but it's still not a a thing with a capital t yet yeah yeah and i think i think that was one of the reasons why so many developers still sided on the uh the side of adobe with flash was well, because yeah flash is mature and and html5 has yet to mature in fact and there's not a a firm um uh standard yet and i've got friends who are flash Animators, they, you know, they, they, that's the tool they use to create animation, and uh, they have very strong opinions on this subject, understandably so because their livelihood depends upon this tool, and uh, so their opinions are uh, very different from Apple's. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's there. There are a lot of sides to this story. We don't mean to try and oversimplify it and say that one company has the right perspective over another one. Uh, in many ways, you could argue that both perspectives are valid, just for different reasons. So uh, anyway, that's the that's the story of Adobe in two parts, and uh, we're gonna wrap it up here. If you guys have any suggestions for topics that we should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, I invite you to send us a little note, letting us know of your uh, your brilliant idea. Um, you can send that note to our email address. It's techstuff at discovery.com. Or you can drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle of both of those is techstuffhsw. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 